We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hello, good morning um, and welcome to Hope Church. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name's Catherine. Um, I'm married to Chris and we have um, two daughters, Talia, who's about to turn nine, and uh, Nine, who is Naya, who is seven, although she'll tell you she's seven and a half, because um, every quarter matters. Um, we have a dog called Bailey, and um, I am a secondary school teacher. I teach performing arts, but I'm also a head of year. I get the joy of being head of year nine. Um, so there you go. It's a little bit about me, if you don't know um, who I am. And uh, we're going to be preaching from the Bible this morning, because um, as a church, we love the Bible and believe in the Word of God. And so if you want to turn your Bibles or your phone app to Mark chapter 14... If you haven't got a Bible with you and you'd like to borrow one of ours, if you just stick your hand in the air, uh, then one of our stewards will come and give you one of ours. And it might be this morning the reason your hand is in the air is because you don't own a Bible. If that's the case, put your name in the front cover of this Bible and you can take it as a free gift from us. So we're going to be looking at the second part of Mark chapter 14 today. And uh, it's been a really good series, hasn't it, as we've gone through this book of Mark. And there's been two really distinct parts to the series. Part one was all about who is Jesus. It was fast-paced, action-packed stories of Jesus getting baptised, driving out demons, healing the lame, the blind, the leper, the woman who bled for 12 years, raising the dead, feeding 5,000, then 4,000. It was like watching a cinema production. It was like a big Oscar award-winning action-packed movie as we explored who is Jesus. But the second half of the book has been a bit slower because we've been looking at over the last few weeks all the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And in this last part of Mark, he takes five chapters just to cover the five days leading towards Jesus' death. And in this, we've discovered why did Jesus come? For the second half of the book, it's like we've moved from the cinema and we've now gone into a hospital and into the heart surgeon's room where God has begun to do heart surgery on us as we've reflected over that question, why did Jesus come? We've seen over the last few weeks how God looks at the heart. We've seen that as Jesus pointed out the widow's offering, how we're called to come back to the heart of worship as the woman pours perfume over Jesus' feet. And then last week, how we're called to remember the gospel. And this morning's chapter, it is like our hearts are being put underneath the microscope in the heart surgeon's room. Because this chapter goes really to the heart of the reason why Jesus came. And so this morning, some parts of the passage are going to be uncomfortable as we're challenged to look at our own hearts. But also as we find great relief as we discover that Jesus is bigger than our mistakes. And so that is the title of my talk this morning. So what we're going to do is Chris, because it's a really long chapter, and otherwise you have to listen to me talk for ages. Um, Chris is going to come up and he's going to read uh, the chapter to us. So it's Mark chapter 14, verse 26 to 72. And then I'm going to come and bring out a few bits from the passage. Wonderful. Good stuff. So there you go. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. Will, can you click... Thank you. So, verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. 
Peter declared, well, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, well, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not, well, not, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for an hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the, the elders, the teachers of the law, came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. 
Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entrance. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around them, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So, uh, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a situation where you've uh, put your foot in, or in a situation where you said, I'll never do that, and then you end up doing it. And uh, some examples for me is uh, when I first went into teaching. Basically, in teaching, hundreds of people have written loads of books, and there's newspaper articles from people about how you can be the best teacher. And there's all these top tips. And um, there's one that's called, like, the top ten tips of teaching. To be honest with you, I don't remember any of them. (laughs) But I remember one. And uh, it was basically saying that you need to make sure that you remember all the students' names of those you teach. And I remember thinking, of course. I'm going to clearly do that. So... I was like, how hard can it be to learn all the students' names of those that I'm teaching? Anyway, I said this out loud to a group of uh, friends who all qualified at teaching at the same time as me. And then I started teaching, and it was at a time where Justin Bieber was just coming in, and One Direction were a big thing. So everyone had the whole sweeping hairstyles that cover half your face. For those of you who can't remember, this is what I'm talking about. And so I remember walking into my form room and looking at all the kids and being like, I can't see their faces and they're all wearing the same thing. How am I going to learn their names? And I have to say, the last two years with COVID and face masks, it hasn't been much easier to learn um, students' names. Another declaration that I have made uh, more recently is we've recently got a puppy called Bailey um, and he's 12 weeks old. And... uh, we're absolutely besotted with him, I have to say. And um, we're, we're you know, in preparation for bringing a puppy home. It's a big thing, isn't it? There's all this research you've got to do. So I thought, I'm going to do my bit, and I'm going to do some research. So I started reading on puppy training. And um, one of the things they say is, whatever behavior your puppy does, even if it's cute, if you don't want them to do it when they're older, you need to put a stop to it. And I thought, of course, easy. It's like behavior management in a classroom. I can do that. However... The issue was the other day we were having dinner and it's safe to say that Bailey does like a blanket or two or six. And so the other day we were having dinner and he was in the living room and we just suddenly heard it go quiet and then we heard this little rustle. And we went in there and he's pulled off every cushion off the uh, sofas, he's pulled off every blanket, all of his stuff and he's jumping and rolling around across a giant bed of blankets and pillows in our living room floor. Safe to say I took my phone out and took a video and didn't discipline the dog. (laughs) 
<laughs> because I actually thought it was really cute. And to be honest with you, when he then looks at you like that, how can you? And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where you've said you'll do one thing and then you've ended up not doing it? And the reason for me to kind of tell you those kind of funny stories is because here in Mark, we see him chop and change between three main characters. And two of them make big mistakes. One of them, prior to making this mistake, was Peter. And he made this massive declaration that he wouldn't make that mistake. And we're going to come and look at him in a few moments. And so this morning, I'm going to focus on the three main characters of this passage, Judas, Peter, and Jesus. I'm going to talk about each character, and I'm going to pull out three things about those characters that will help answer the second half of this book's question, which is, why did Jesus come? And I'm hoping that through the talk, I'll then bring us to the conclusion that Jesus is bigger than our mistakes. So we're going to look at Judas first of all, and to help give us a bit of context to this passage, we need to go back into last week's passage. It's Passover, and this is a time where Jews come together and they celebrate their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Jesus and his disciples have just eaten Passover together. And last week, Sam looked at how at this moment of having the Passover meal, Jesus brings the bread and the wine and demonstrates the new covenant and the importance of the act of remembrance in communion. And whilst this meal was taking place earlier on, Jesus points out that one person is going to betray him. He says this in verse 18. While we were reclining at the table, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were all saddened, and one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. Now, I always think about this, of like, what kind of festival where you'd kind of have lots of people gathered around, kind of eating together to kind of help me picture what is going on. And I always think of Christmas dinner. I know we're going into Easter, because like, why are you talking about Easter, or Christmas when it's Easter? And I was like, well kind of helps me understand the story a little bit, but just go with me. So it's Christmas dinner. You've got all the family round, and it's one of those times, isn't it, Christmas, where you suddenly realise you don't have enough matching chairs. So you have some people on a stool, some people on a camping chair, some people on a desk chair, some people on dining room tables. It's all a bit chaotic, but it's always great, gathering together with all the family. And can you imagine sitting there and feasting and enjoying the celebration, and someone stands up and goes, one of you is going to betray me. It's kind of a bit of like a bomb that Jesus is dropping, and probably can completely kills the mood of that Passover meal. And I always wonder, when that happens, what did Judas think? Because at this point, Judas already knew that he was going to portray Jesus. He'd already met with the chief priest. He'd already agreed with them the 30 pieces of silver. And I wonder, when Jesus calls it out, what does he think? Nah, Jesus doesn't mean me. Didn't see me, did he? We did say he was the son of God. Is, could that be the reason why he's saying that? I always wonder what, what was going through his mind. And then all the disciples, one by one, say to Jesus, you don't mean me? I mean, at that point, did Judas think, oh, that's great, I'll say the same. Yeah, 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 you don't mean me either, do you, Jesus? But Jesus continues, it is one of the 12. It's the one who dips bread into the bowl with me. It's so easy for us in this moment to forget the significance of Judas's betrayal. He had spent time over the two and a half years watching Jesus perform miracles. He was even the treasurer, which we find out in John's Gospel. And so that means, therefore, he was a trusted person to look after the finances. But yet, when the woman comes and pours his perfume over his feet, in John's Gospel we learn that it's Judas who stated, why are you doing that? 
What a waste. We could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. It was in that moment that Jesus rebukes Judas. And it was after that rebuke that Judas goes to the chief priests and agrees to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In this moment, Judas has not allowed the truth of who Jesus is to impact his heart. He's allowed the love of money to take root in his heart, and he's chosen not to believe the truth of who Jesus is. All the miracles, all the adventure that Jesus has done, all the things that he has witnessed firsthand, and yet he would rather betray Jesus than sacrifice money. He would have been there when Jesus would have spoken to the rich young ruler and would have said, sell everything and follow me. But yet, it's in this moment that Judas ultimately forgot the truth about Jesus' teaching. He forgot the whole first half of the book of Mark of who is Jesus. He chose to forget the truth and allow his love of money to impact on his actions and his decisions. But that's not the only thing. He also allowed the fear of man to get to him. Jesus speaks to the disciples about Judas' betrayal. And I always think this is a perfect opportunity, Judas, to come to Jesus and repent. But yet he doesn't. And Jesus carries on in Mark 14, verse 21. He says this about the betrayer. The son of man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. I mean, maybe you might not have admitted that you were going to betray Jesus the first time. But when Jesus then speaks those words, surely at that point you'd come forward to Jesus and be like, it's me. And come to your knees before him. But yet Judas didn't. He was so afraid of what the chief priests would do to him. We read in other Gospels how the chief priests were delighted in Judas for betraying him. They were so excited by it. Jesus wasn't popular with the elders or the chief priests or the Sanhedrin or the religious elite of the day. Jesus was a wanted man. Jesus was unpopular with those in power. And so Judas allowed the fear of man to continue with the path of betrayal. But also, Judas represents loads of pride. He held on to his pride. And today's passage, we see that he is walking, leading the crowd. They're armed with swords and clubs, and he's leading people to arrest Jesus. He even has the audacity to greet Jesus, calling him rabbi, and greeting him with a kiss. It's really easy when we see that whole greeting with a kiss, appearance where they go... To everybody, yeah, that you kind of meet. It's kind of like just a gesture, it's just a way of greeting people. That's not what the Greek word meant. The Greek word for kiss is like a loving kiss, kind of like in terms of friendship. Like it's something they would have greeted a close friend. It's like a hug. It's personal. It's somebody who knows Jesus well. And yet he had pride to do it. Walking with this mob, walking up, longingly embracing Jesus as a friend. Mark doesn't tell us what happened to Judas after Jesus' arrest because he wants us to focus on Peter, and we'll look at that later. But what we do learn is we learn from Matthew chapter 27 that Judas ends his life. He completely misunderstood the gospel. He believed that there was no hope for him, and so he took his life into his own hands. Last week, we had a prophetic word from Jo where she talked about how she could see a sign And it says, all who enter here abandon all hope. And she felt as if people were entering into the church this morning, unless it was last week, but I think it still applies today, 
who are entering and feeling like they have no hope. And yet, she was saying that actually, Jesus is here to restore hope. And maybe this morning, you feel like all hope is lost. That's how Judas felt after he made his mistakes. He felt all hope was lost. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you feel like you've made mistakes and you feel like that your mistakes are too big and there is no hope for you. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you've made many mistakes and you feel there is no hope for you because you should have known better. But I believe this morning Jesus wants to let you know that there is hope in him and that he is bigger than your mistakes. The second character I want to focus on is uh, Peter, because he's also someone in this story who we see a bit of a track record of um, his mistakes. And uh, Mark focuses mainly on Peter in this passage. And um, it starts off this passage this morning where Jesus quotes from Zechariah 13, verse 7. And uh, he basically quotes that, you know, you're all going to fall away. And Peter, in a classic moment, does a very Peter thing. He thinks before, he speaks before he thinks. I won't do that, Jesus. And Jesus continues, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter insists emphatically. I mean, he's already said once he's not going to do it. He then goes on to continue to say, even if I have to die of you, I will never disown you. He's so keen to put his foot in it and to make this declaration before Jesus. And then at the end of today's chapter, we see that all the other disciples have fled just as Jesus had said. So in a space of a few verses, Jesus tells them, you're all going to leave me. No, we're not, Jesus. Peter, even more enthusiastically, no, we're not. And by the end of the chapter, we see that there is Peter watching this court scene take place. He's seeing Jesus' words mocked. He's seeing false testimony given against Jesus. So much false testimony that every testimony contradicts itself. The Mark goes into detail to tell us that. None of the testimonies add up. They misquote him about when he talks about the temple. Peter is watching all this, and in this moment, like Judas, he completely forgets the truth of who Jesus is. In Mark 8, verse 29, which is the turning point of this book, of where we look at who is Jesus to why did he come, it's even Peter who declares that you are the Messiah when Jesus asks him, who am I? But yet in this moment, he allows all the earthly voices to affect him and to distract him from the truth. So he too forgets the truth of who Jesus is. But he also demonstrates fear of man. Because when Peter is spotted by a servant girl, and she says, hang on a minute, you were with him, weren't you? No, no, no. And then the servant girl goes around to other people. Hey, you saw him with Jesus the other week, right? Peter says no again. And the third time when other people part it out, he curses and then he denies Jesus. He allows the fear of man to, and the, uh, to take hold of his heart. He wants to protect his reputation. It was all well and good saying that Jesus was the Messiah when he was feeding 5,000, then 4,000, and then healing loads of people. But now, Jesus, you're in a courtroom. And actually, it's quite scary. I don't think I want to be associated with you. We too can, can be like that, can't we? We can go through seasons where things are going great. We come to church this morning, we sing, my Jesus, my saviour, all of my breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. And then we go out into the workplace or back at home for the Easter holidays with the kids or back into family situations and difficulty hits. And those words can be harder to sing. 
And in this moment, Peter allows the fear of man and the circumstances around him to make mistakes. But also, Peter demonstrates a huge amount of pride. It begins with the pride of, I won't leave you, Jesus. All of these guys around here that I've been with, all my mates, they might leave you, but I'm not going to do it. I'll even die with you, Jesus. He's so full of pride. But also, when Jesus is coming to be arrested, he cuts off one of the chief priest's servants' ears. In these two moments, he is saying, I'm better than all my fellow disciples, but also, I'm here for you, Jesus. I can protect you. I'm Peter. And so he, too, allows his pride to get in the way, to affect his heart, and for him to, therefore, then make mistakes. It's challenging, isn't it? So I said we're in the heart, surgery, heart surgeon's room today. Because before we look at Jesus, I always think it's really helpful when we look at a story like this and think about who are we in this story? Because this is when the Bible becomes really challenging because we're not Jesus in the story. And ultimately, this story answers the question, why did Jesus come? Because we too are like Judas and we're like Peter. And we make mistakes. We too forget the truth. We too allow the fear of man to affect our actions. And we too allow our pride to get in the way. And what I love about this is that Mark doesn't just highlight Peter and Judas' mistakes. He also gives himself a bit of a cameo appearance. A bit like Alfred Hitchcock. And I don't know if you know it, but many scholars believe the man that was caught in Gethsemane and who ran away naked to actually be Mark. And he could have chosen, while he was writing this book, not to add himself into this story. But actually, what he wants to do throughout is he wanted to highlight that the issue of making mistakes is not only isolated to Judas and Peter, although they made big mistakes, but actually it's highlighted to all the human race. And it's not a new problem that Mark chapter 14 is looking at. We see it also in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are there in the Garden of Eden and the serpent comes along and tells them a lie and they too then forget the truth of what God has told them. And so they believe the serpent and they listen to him and he tempts them and they take the fruit. But also they have fear of one another. Neither one of them challenge each other that this is a bad mistake and this is the wrong thing to do. And both of them have pride because they want to be all-knowing like God, just as the serpent had promised them. And so here, in Mark 14, just before we get to Jesus' crucifixion, Mark is pointing out this big question, why did Jesus come? And ultimately, the reason why is because we as humans make mistakes. We've made them since the beginning of time, big ones and small ones. In Genesis, we see that we can't even live up to God's expectation. But in Mark here, we clearly see we can't even live up to our own expectations. As Peter declares, I won't do that. And within a few hours, he's done the very thing he said he wouldn't do. But there is hope this morning. And that's what I love about this passage. Because you have this story of two guys who've known Jesus, seen him firsthand deliver miracles, seen his preaching. And yet, in the middle of all of this passage, we've got Jesus running right the way through. And Jesus, throughout, demonstrates that he is bigger than our mistakes. And so we're going to just look at Jesus. And the first thing is, is that Jesus knew the truth. In the midst of his arrest, which is happening at night, 
Now, it's quite a key thing to kind of understand the context that it was illegal in Jewish law to arrest somebody at night. And also, if you think about it, Jesus has been in the temple courts and he even says it, why don't you arrest me then? Because they were fearful of the crowd. And so they've got this kind of little like idea that they're going to go and they're going to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. But even though Jesus knows that it's against the law, he complies with their request. In verse 60, after all these kind of questions and false testimonies, the high priest stands up and he asks Jesus, are you going to answer what is your testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting on the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Those verses come directly from a prophecy from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In this very difficult moment where testimony is against him, Jesus knows the truth of who he is and he doesn't allow his circumstances to change what he knows to be true. But Jesus also has reverence for God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he is there and he is praying before God. Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I think this is a really kind of uh, powerful prayer that Jesus brings because it allows us to know that Jesus is like very human in this moment. Like he is a little bit daunted by the fact of what he's got to do. He knows what's coming. And I love that. I love it when we see that very human side of Jesus. And he's crying out, Abba, Father, anything is possible for you. Take this cup. But yet, not my, what I will, but what you will. In this moment, Jesus has reverence for God. He knows that God has plans. And he knows that he can't allow the fear of man to get in the way. And you know that the fear of man and reverence for God, they don't mix. Because if we have fear for man, we start to pray for our own will. Whereas when we have reverence for God, we pray for God's will. And that is what Jesus does in this moment. He doesn't allow his own fears to get in the way. He has complete adoration and reverence for God. Your will be done. But Jesus was also obedient. Throughout the trial before the Sanhedrin, it says that the testimony did not agree. And then right at the very end, it says that they bound him up and they began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is quite a key moment. You know, we've got Jesus, haven't we, in chapter 5, where he walks through a crowded place and a woman touches him in faith and he's healed. And he knows who that is and he says, who touched me? And everyone's like, come on, Jesus, everyone touched you. But right here, they're mocking that. They're blindfolding him. They're poking him. They're spitting. Come on, Jesus, which one was it? And Jesus, he knew who it was. We know that. We also know that he was there at the beginning of time when heaven and earth was created. And yet in this moment, he allows man, weak man, to bind him, to strike him, to spit on him, to fist him. And he remained silent. All because he knew that he was obedient to God. And that was ultimately what he came to earth for. He knew that he had to fulfill the scriptures. He knew that he had to allow himself to be arrested in the first place. But ultimately, he was obedient to death on the cross. So why did Jesus come? 
to demonstrate that his love for us is bigger than our mistakes. And for every one of our mistakes that we make, that come from forgetting the truth, that come from fear of man, that come from our pride, Jesus has undone that. Because he knew the truth. He has reverence for God and he was completely obedient to God. And so I guess this morning the question is, is what is your response going to be? Because the passage doesn't end with just Jesus being blindfolded and struck. Actually, it ends with telling us a little bit about Peter. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Or you could say the payment for our mistakes is death. And we have two choices about how we're going to respond. When Judas um, betrayed Jesus, he believed that there was no way back. He believed that his sin was too great. And so therefore he took his own life into his own hands. He paid the price for his own mistakes. And I believe this is why Mark chose not for us to focus on Peter, but to focus, uh, not focus on Judas, sorry, but to focus on Peter. Because Peter messed up. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was in that three, regularly taken away. He was even there at Gethsemane, there to meant to be praying with Jesus. But he also declared to Jesus, I'm never going to do that. And then he did. But at the end, we read, at the end of this passage, it says that Peter broke down and he wept. So even though he'd committed the same mistakes as Judas and rejected Jesus, he also knew that Jesus accepted prostitutes, taxpayers, lepers, outcasts, and that also Jesus could accept him. He knew that he did not deserve his salvation, but neither did anyone else. And in John's Gospel, we read about when Peter met Jesus again after Jesus had risen from the dead. Peter's fishing, and Jesus is on the shore. And when Peter realises that it's Jesus on the shore, he doesn't hold back. He throws himself in that water and he swims. He swims to Jesus. In the midst of his mess and his mistakes, he swims. Don't we all need to be a little bit more like Peter? There's so many things that Peter doesn't do well. But when he's messed up, he swam directly back to Jesus. He didn't hide from him. On the beach, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied Jesus three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the reason is, is because when we put our trust in Jesus and allow him to pay for our mistakes, the slate is completely wiped clean. Your mistakes and your sin is no longer counted against you. And I believe Mark focuses on Peter's response at the end of this passage as an encouragement for us to come to Jesus. Whether we're coming to Jesus for the first time or whether we've been a Christian for a long time, no matter how big or small our mistakes, Jesus is enough. He is bigger than your mistakes. He has done it all. And the question is, are you going to be like Peter and swim to him this morning? Can I ask the uh, band to come back up, please? As we kind of um, come to kind of responding, I think this is a real personal moment between you and, and God. And uh, it might be this morning that you don't know Jesus. And it might be this morning that you've come in and you feel like all hope is abandoned. But you know what? You can find hope in Jesus this morning because he is bigger than your mistakes. And he is, loves you so much. He loves you so much that he went through 
this trial, he went through death and he rose again, all for you, so that you could have salvation. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, maybe this is an opportunity for you to come and to ask him into your life. And for those of us that are Christians, I think this is a really good opportunity for us just to spend a quiet moment before God and just reflect on where have you allowed the kind of the lies to get in or allowed the truth to be distorted and that's affected your actions or where have you allowed the fear of man to impact on your choices or where have you allowed your pride to get in the way and so I think it would be really good for us this morning just to take a moment before God maybe just call out to him just pray in, him, pray in your heart to him maybe you have made big mistakes and you don't feel that you know Jesus could possibly forgive you because you know you've been a Christian for a long time but you know what Jesus is bigger than any mistakes that you've made so I'm just going to give us a few moments just to quietly just come back to him listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. 
We look forward to seeing you.